Let's continue the worship of our Lord through the proclamation of His Word. Let's go ahead and pray once again and ask God to bless our time together. And as I think Mike said, just speak to our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Lord God, once again, we thank You for a glorious day. We thank You for Your beautiful creation that just proclaims Your glory. And I pray that we would see those things as we move around through our day today, and this morning in particular, Lord God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word, that you would show us just as we worshiped, that you delight in mercy, and that mercy will ultimately triumph over judgment. But Lord, judgment is necessary because you are a just God. And so we pray that we would see that this morning and understand that in a way that would cause us to draw closer to you and to live for you even more than we do now, Lord. And we pray this in your name. Amen. All right, we'll open up your Bibles this morning to Isaiah chapter 24. And the title of this morning's message is Polluting the Lord's Earth. There's no doubt that each and every one of us are familiar with different ways that, at least if you don't think you pollute the earth, society and even our government is uh, telling us how we're polluting our earth. So much so that we can't even get a straw in a restaurant anymore without asking for it. Does that bug anybody else besides me? Okay. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Or they make sippy cups now for us in some places so that we don't have to use straws. But either way, we are polluting the earth in a bunch of different ways. As a matter of fact, I was reading this morning that those of us that that drink coffee and those K-cups that the inventor of the K-cup is sorry that he invented it or feels bad that because those things are polluting the earth. They're not very biodegradable. As a matter of fact, he said, I think it was, I want to say like 2030, maybe even, don't quote me on that, but sometime obviously in the future he hopes to, or they hope to get those to be so much more biodegradable because they're, you know, causing problems in our earth. The landfill is just filling with them and they're not going to be gone anytime soon. And the government in so many ways now is regulating all the things that we can and cannot do because we are going to pollute the earth. So much so that some may believe that in 12 years, the earth that we know now will not even exist. This is not new. I read that it was in the 1300s when they were burning coal that they, in England that they were saying the earth was being polluted. But even going back further, as we'll see in today's text, that the prophet Isaiah has something also to say about pollution as well. But before we get into that, just to give us some context of where we are in the book of Isaiah, so in chapters 13 through 23, Isaiah has been pointing out to the nation of Israel, particularly Judah, How the individual kingdoms all around them, if you've been with us for a while, you know that we've been talking about different kingdoms, different nations, and how they're ultimately going to fail Israel. And Israel cannot seek help from them, and not trusting in them is foolish, because each of them is going to fall under God's judgment in some way. And God is showing them mercifully to come back to Him through the prophet Isaiah in that. And so now we get to chapter 24. And in chapter 24, what we're going to have is the prophet is no longer talking about an individual kingdom, but he's kind of, well, he collects all the kingdoms and describes the entire world. So he's talking about the end of the world 
And in your Bible, you might have a little subtitle there, Judgment on the Earth. And so I want us to remember that last song we sung, that mercy triumphs over judgment in the midst of this, because it can sound kind of, uh, you know, it could be kind of tough to talk about judgment of our world, especially as Mike had mentioned, you know, we look at our world, and it's so beautiful. There's so many beautiful things about it. But just know that God is going to make it even more beautiful in the kingdom to come, if that's even imaginable. But unfortunately, right now, the world ultimately will end at some point in the future. And we're going to talk a little bit about that, how God will do that, or how He promises that that will happen. And in the process of doing that, remember, He's a merciful God. And Isaiah is telling Israel this because why? He wants them to turn back to the Lord, to trust in the Lord. He's saying, even if you stop polluting the earth, that's not going to save you. And we need to remember that even as believers and those of us that are big on recycling, and I'm not against recycling at all. I think we should do it. I just don't like when the water bottles pile up in my house, so I put them outside. But sorry for that, just revealing something about myself. But even no matter how much we recycle, we're not going to save the earth. That shouldn't be our primary goal as believers is saving the earth in that sense. We should do that as a respect and caretakers of this earth for what God has given us. And so Isaiah is going to talk about this in a much bigger way of how we are polluting the earth. And so let's look at that now. Hopefully that gives you some context of what's going on. It's warm in here, right? Or is it just me because I'm going to talk about judgment? Well, let's read. So I'm going to read the entire text, and then we're going to come back and specifically focus just on verses 1 through 6, because that's uh, written kind of in a different manner than verses 7 through 23. 7 through 23 is really kind of giving us a poetic description of what verses 1 through 6 are going to talk about. But I'm going to read the whole thing, then we're going to come back and specifically talk about verses 1 through 6 and make a few mentions of the other verses as well, because they'll bring detail and highlight what the prophet Isaiah is trying to say. So, with that said, let's read. So Isaiah writes, Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste, devastates it, distorts its surface, and scatters its inhabitants. And the people will be like the priest, the servant like his master, the maid like her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, and the creditor like the debtor. The earth will be completely laid waste and completely despoiled, for the Lord has spoken this word. The earth mourns and withers. The world fades and withers. The exalted of the people of the earth fade away. The earth is also polluted by its inhabitants, for they transgressed the laws, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant. Therefore a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. And so let's continue on. Now he, he's going to say the same thing in a more poetic way. He just throws it right out there. That kind of hits you right in the face like, wow, Isaiah, okay. So here he goes. The new wine mourns, the vine decays, and all the merry-hearted sigh. The gaiety of the tambourine ceases. The noise of revelers stops. 
the gaiety of the harp ceases. They do not drink wine with song. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The city of chaos is broken down, and every house is shut up so that none may enter. There is an outcry in the streets concerning the wine. All joy turns to gloom. The gaiety of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city, and the gate is battered to ruins. For thus it will be in the midst of the earth among the people, as the shaking of an olive tree, as the gleanings which the grape harvest is over. They raise their voices. They shout for joy. This is the one lone section of some positive stuff going on here. They glorify, excuse me, they cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east, the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, in the coastlands of the sea. For the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. But I say, woe to me, woe to me, alas for me, the treacherous deal treacherously, and the treacherous deal very treacherously. Terror and pit and snare comfort uh, confront you, O inhabitants of the earth. Then it will be that he who flees the report of disaster will fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit will be caught in the snare. For the windows above are opened, and the foundations of the earth shake. The earth is broken asunder. The earth is split through. The earth is shaken violently. The earth reels to and fro like a drunkard, and it totters like a shack. For its transgressions is heavy upon it, and it will fall, never to rise again. So it will be in that day that the Lord will punish the host of heaven on high and the kings of the earth on earth. They will be gathered together like prisoners in the dungeon and will be confined in prison. And, there, and after many days they will be punished. Then the moon will be abashed, excuse me, then the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed for the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem and his glory will be before his elders. So that's Isaiah's, you know, happy good night story to the nation of Israel. So what is he talking about? Obviously, it's something pretty cataclysmic, the way he's describing it. And it's honestly, if you think about it, it could be pretty scary, depending on where you are right now with the Lord. So let's go back and let's, let's discuss this. Again, as I said, we are gonna, we're going to look through just verses 1 through 6 to talk about this. So what does Isaiah, Isaiah say is going to happen to the earth? So look at verse 1 one more time. So the Lord is going to bring judgment down on the earth. This is what Isaiah is, has written down for us. Right? It says the Lord's going to lay waste to the earth. He's going to devastate it, distort its surface, and scatter the inhabitants. There's going to be a day in the future when, Scripture tells us, that the heavens and the earth will be remade. They'll be remade. And now, this is not said to scare people. I want you to remember, as I said, think of that song, The Lord Delights in Mercy. And mercy triumphs over judgment. But the Lord is telling the truth to us, right? If you need to be truthful with people, well, you need to tell them the good and the bad, if you're going to be honest. And now, this is not to scare people, but to give people hope and joy in knowing that this earth is not all that there is when you look at this place. And that the Lord has so much more. 
A matter of fact, look at verse 23 one more time, because this is how he concludes this entire section. He says, the moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. Why? For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before the elders. The glory of God is going to be greater than the moon and the sun, is what he's saying. Something so much better that the sun will be ashamed in comparison to the Lord God in this future heavens and earth. Now this was said, it's said many times in Scripture. Let's just look at a few verses here. Turn to the book of Psalms and look at Psalm 102, verse 25 through 26. So Psalm 102, verses 25 through 26, the psalmist says this. He says, Of old you founded the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. So even before Isaiah's prophecy, the psalmist was saying that God created the heavens and the earth, but you know what? He's going to change them. They're going to be changed sometime in the future. So this isn't something that God, you know, well, I guess i got to start over again. I didn't know this was going to happen. No, this was God's plan, right? Again, there's going to be a day in the future when the heavens and the earth are remade. As a matter of fact, the apostle Peter tells us this in 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at this in more detail when we get to the application part of our message, but look at what the Apostle Peter says about the end of the world in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, but the day of the Lord, so a day when God comes in judgment, the day of the Lord will be like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its work will be burned up. So here, Peter's agreeing with the prophet Isaiah. There's going to be a day, the day of the Lord in particular, when the earth, and we don't know how exactly this is going to happen, and I'm not here to speculate on the time and, and the specifics, but Scripture seems to be pretty clear that it's going to be an intense heat. Right? Or maybe if he's speaking metaphorically, I don't know, but we know that something's going to change. The psalmist said it, Isaiah said it, and here Peter says it. And a matter of fact... In Revelation 21, let me give you one last verse, 21 verse 1, this is going to be the outcome of it. The Apostle John writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. So at some time in the future, this world that we know right now will no longer exist. God is going to remake it, and it's going to be so beautiful, if you could even imagine how beautiful it would be, because as Mike mentioned earlier, you know, God's made a beautiful world. And we were in Yosemite a few weeks ago, and that is, has anybody been to Yosemite? That's gorgeous and beautiful. And even looking at that as we were walking through a certain point, and, and I think me and Mindy were talking about just, you know, can you imagine what the new heavens and the new earth is going to look like? If this is what God did with our fallen world, imagine what he's going to remake and, you know, we didn't want to leave. We wanted to stay there. And we're thinking, well, in eternity, we can just walk forever and explore all that God has created. My son Jonathan will like that. He wants to go back to Yosemite. He's like, let's drive up there today. I'm like, dude, that's like seven hours to get there. He's like, that's okay. So he wanted to go and then come right back, like in one day. That's, 
That's a lot of driving. <laughs> That's far. He doesn't mind, he says, but we mind. Anyways, the point of that is that the heavens and the new heavens and the new earth are going to be so much greater than all that we've seen up to this point in our world, as great as our world is. So again, the Lord's going to bring judgment on this earth. He's going to remake a new heavens and a new earth, Isaiah says. So let's go back to our text here in Isaiah and continue on. Let's look at verse, verse 2 now. So the Lord's going to bring down judgment, and judgment is going to be all-encompassing. That's what he's saying here in verse 2. He says, and the people will be like the priests. The servant will be like the master, the maid like her, maid, her mistress, the buyer like the seller, the lender like the borrower, and the creditor like the debtor. It's an idiomatic description of how God's judgment will affect all aspects of life. God's judgment does not have favorites. We're talking about the most powerful, the most weak. Every stature and strata of society will be affected by God's all-encompassing judgment. There will be nowhere to hide. Nobody will be safe in in a sense, God's judgment is all-encompassing. And verse 3 reminds us that God's judgment is sure. Look at verse 3. He says, the earth will be completely laid waste, completely despoiled. And the main point is this, for the the Lord has spoken this word. God said it's going to happen. That's why it's for sure. It's going to be complete. God's going to carry it out because he said so. God doesn't make empty threats. God doesn't break promises. God's judgment is sure. And not only that, it tells us that God had already planned this beforehand, that God's judgment, it's not a meaningless judgment. God just doesn't fly off the handle and wipe out his world. It serves a purpose. It's happened because God said it, and it serves a purpose. It's not unforeseen. It's been established from before the foundations of the world. And it is carried out. This should also bring us, it's carried out under God's watchful eye. God's deliberate. God's purposeful. God is meaningful in all the things that he does. He sets standards, and he establishes consequences for those who obey and for those who disobey. If you want a great example of that, I would encourage you to read Deuteronomy chapters 27 through 30, where God lays out the blessings and cursings for the nation of Israel. He says, if you do this, then this will happen. And if you do that, that will happen. And in the process of that blessings and cursings, and specifically the cursing, God over and over again extends his mercy before he judges his people. But this should remind us that God has set standards Again, and God blesses those who follow him, and he will punish those who ultimately reject him. Verse 4 now says, The earth mourns and withers, the world fades and withers, the exalted of the people of the earth fade away. So in this section here, the Lord's all-encompassing judgment is just reiterated for us in verse 4. So now we come to verse 5. We're going to spend a little time here. Why is the Lord doing this? Why is the Lord going to wipe out the entire creation that he created and all his, the people of the earth? Well, look at what it says. The earth is also polluted. By who? By its inhabitants. The inhabitants 
the people that live on earth have polluted it. Right? We talked about that again. We're polluting the earth. We know that. But what does Isaiah say is the pollution that is getting God so upset, so to speak, and bringing about this devastation? Look at what he says. Three things. They have transgressed his laws. They have violated statutes, meaning God's statutes, and they've broken the everlasting covenant. It's a moral pollution on the earth. God is more concerned with our morality than with, you know, you know, we have too many, you know, we're throwing too many straws in the river or in the ocean. Not that he doesn't care about that. But that's not what brings judgment on this world. Judgment is coming on this world because we've transgressed laws, violated statutes, and we broke the everlasting covenant of God. Remember, God has established standards for the entire world. And the entire world has broke them. Matter of fact, turn with me to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 35. And I want to show you verses 33 through 34. Where God establishes, or He tells Israel how the nation, how you can pollute the earth. Here's how you can pollute the earth. Numbers chapter 35. Look at verses 33 through 34. So Numbers 35... He's speaking about the cities of refuge. We don't have time to get into it, but if there was somebody that murdered somebody or somebody killed somebody, whether an accident or before they could even tell, they were called to run to the city of refuge and there they would be tried and justice would be served because they would find out if this person, you know, if it was an accident or if it was premeditated murder. But in the process of that, I want to show you what God says in verse 33. He says, So you shall not pollute the land. Don't pollute the land in which you are. For, look at what it says, for blood pollutes the land. And no expiation can be made for the land for the blood that is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, am dwelling in the midst of the sons of Israel. There's a few things I want to point out here. Number one, the killing of innocent. This is what he's talking about. Once justice is served, if you're killing innocent people, that pollutes the land is what he says. That's why you need to wait till that guy makes it to the city of refuge and then justice, you know, there's a trial and they decide if this man or woman are guilty before you just go and kill innocent beings, innocent people made in the image of God because that pollutes the land. If you do that. Not only that, in verse 34, you know why it's really polluting and defiling the land? Because God lives there. God says, I live in the land with Israel, and when you're doing these moral sins, you know, killing innocent blood, you're defiling the land, and more importantly, because I live there. I'm here. I'm holy. God is holy and cannot be defiled. That's the big reason. The land is holy because the Lord dwells in the midst of his people. Think of this for your own personal application. Where does the Lord dwell now in the midst of his people? Does the Lord dwell in the United States or in Mexico or Africa or in the United Kingdom or Asia? We're told in Scripture that the Lord dwells in the midst of his people, right? 
He, you and I, those of you who are believers, are the temple of God where the Lord dwells. So the Lord dwells in His believers all over the world. And so when we get to, just remember that when we get to a point of application, it's not a physical country that the Lord dwells in now. He dwells in our hearts. We're the temple of God, which we'll talk about, and we'll get to application. I just want you to remember that and think about that. We are holy. Why? Because the Lord lives in us. So just, again, hold on to that. I don't want to get too far with that right now. So remember, God has established standards for the entire world. He established them for the nation of Israel here in Numbers. And I want to continue on this thought of pollution. Turn with me to Psalm 106 as he's, the psalmist writes to the nation of Israel. And this is talking about how they're going into the, all the promised land that they're inheriting. And he's talking about how they polluted those lands as well. Look at what it says in Psalm 106, starting in verse 34. He said, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord commanded them. Now that's not necessarily what caused them to pollute the land, but it was what happened as a result of that. Look at what it says. But they mingled with the nations. So remember when God called the nation of Israel into the promised land, they were to get the people out of those lands because God didn't want them to get mixed up with serving their gods and pollute themselves. That's what he's going to say right now. He says, they mingled with the nations and learned their practices and served their idols, which became a snare to them. They even sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons and shed innocent blood. There's that pollution, shedding innocent blood. The blood of their sons and daughters whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. And the land was polluted with the blood. Thus they became unclean in their practices and they played the harlot in their deeds. So the problem with the nation of Israel, according to the psalmist, is that they went into the world that they were living in and they became like everybody else. Not only did they become like everybody else, but they also served the same gods and they were sacrificing their children to the gods of those nations that they were now living with. And their children were innocent. That's innocent blood polluting the land. I try not to make the parallels with the United States of the things that we do with the unborn children. It's hard to think how God would not judge our nation for perpetrating abortion. Those are innocent children who we are sacrificing to the gods of our society, whether it's pro-choice, a woman's right to do what she wants with her body, and I believe that, but that body inside your body is not yours. You do what you want with your body, but leave the body that's inside your body alone. That's the shedding of innocent blood. And woe to our nation. Sorry, I get a little emotional. Woe to our nation for practicing that. The good thing is that the Lord delights in mercy. So if you've been involved in that, or know somebody that's been involved in that, God can restore you. God can forgive you. And I pray that God would forgive our nation. So... The killing of innocent blood is polluting the land. And the nation of Israel was doing that. Not necessarily practicing abortion as we know it today, but maybe sacrificing you know, their older children is what they were doing. Putting them in the, on the idols that were burning hot and sacrificing them. 
So here Isaiah the prophet is extending this judgment to the entire world in our text this morning. Th those are some examples of how he's talking to the nation of Israel, how they are polluting the earth. And so let's move on, going back to our text in Isaiah chapter 6. Excuse me, Isaiah 24, verse 6. So the earth is polluted by the inhabitants, for they transgressed laws, violated statutes, and broken the everlasting covenants that God has set. Therefore, he says, so because of this, a curse devours the earth, and those who live in it are held guilty. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men are left. So the result of this judgment, Isaiah is telling the nation of Israel, what's going to happen is the curse again is going to devour the entire earth. Again, this curse, this curse was established by God. This isn't something that we created ourselves. This is God created that this, earth, this curse is coming because of what you have done. And the inhabitants, it says, are held guilty for the actions, their actions. The entire human population is guilty for this curse that is coming upon this earth. Our sins affect our environment. As a matter of fact, Romans talks about how creation groans and groans in pain, waiting for the redemption of itself because of what we have caused. So the inhabitants of the earth are judged. But again, look at the very last section of verse 6. And few men are left. I really think this is talking about God's mercy. There are few who escape judgment. See, there is hope in the midst of this horrible scenario Isaiah is explaining to the people. Who are those who escape this? Well, look at, drop down to verses 12 through 16. We read this a little while ago of this section. So he says, desolation in verse 12 is left in the city and the gate is battered to ruin. So he's painting this picture of the entire world laid to waste. He's calling it a city, but it's just a human city. And gates battered to ruins for thus it will be in the midst of the earth among, and among the people as a shaking of an olive tree and the gleaning when the grape harvest is over. So after all the shakeout, look at what happens. Verse 14, they raise their voices. They shout for joy. They cry out from the west concerning the majesty of the Lord. Therefore glorify the Lord in the east the names of the Lord, the God of Israel, and the coastlands of the sea. From the ends of the earth we hear songs, glory to the righteous one. In the midst of this judgment, Isaiah is reminding us that there's going to be a few who will escape it. And it is those who proclaim that Yahweh is Lord. It is those who give glory to God. So in the midst of the judgment, God's people will be spared that. They will survive. Contrast that with, if you think of scenes from the end of the world, turn with me to the book of Revelation. Let me just give you a major contrast of those who rise up and praise God in the midst of judgment to those who do something else. Revelation 16, verses 8 through 11. I remember early on in, in, my, in my life as a believer thinking, how could people see God's judgment coming, know about it, and then decide, and then not become believers. Why would they do that? It didn't make sense to me. If you know, if, even if you didn't believe in God at the time, and then you saw all the things that the Bible prophesies coming to happen, why wouldn't you trust God all of a sudden? 
Well, Revelation 16, 8 through 11 speaks about this a little bit. It says, For the fourth angel, speaking of the various judgments upon the earth, for the, eighth, the fourth angel poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch the men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat. And look at what they do. They don't repent. It says, And they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues. And they did not repent so as to give him glory. Then the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom became darkened, and they gnawed their tongues because of the pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. I mean, that's amazing to me, but we know people like that, right? People that are in the midst of hard times and they're struggling, but yet they refuse to give their life to God. They're going to hold on to their so-called autonomous life and shake their fists at God and curse the God whom they say they don't believe because of what's happening in their life instead of repenting and giving their life to the Lord. So the Isaiah is telling us, hey, in the midst of all this, there may be some people that don't give their life to the Lord. They just refuse to. They're going to hold on to their pride. They're not going to let go, and they're just going to suffer God's judgment. But there are a few, Isaiah tells us, going back to our text now, that are going to survive. And it is those who trust in the Lord, those who cry out to God and call Him Lord and glorify Him. So, in these last few minutes, let's wrap this up with some application. Why is Isaiah declaring this in his word and then recording it to his readers? What's the purpose of Isaiah doing this? What's he trying to do? Well, he is lovingly warning those who have ears to hear. And even us today, for the application, those of us hear these words, and maybe there's some here that don't believe them. You know, I don't think that's going to happen, or if it happens, I'll turn my life over then at the last minute, you know, when judgment is coming upon the earth. But again, God delights in showing mercy, and right now is the mercy that he is showing to each and every one of us this morning by warning us through the prophet Isaiah. So if you have ears to hear what the word of God is saying, I would encourage you this morning, if you have never given your life to the Lord, that you would do that today. Because judgment is coming. It may not come in our lifetime. It may come way out in the future. And it may come in our lifetime. Nobody knows. Scripture says nobody knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man will return. It's going to happen like a thief in the night. Sometimes we want it to happen. We're like when bad times, right? We're like, come Lord Jesus. Please come right now. And then other times, like, you know what, I kind of like this world. and think Things are going good in our life, and I can understand that. But it's because we don't really understand all that God has for us. And he is lovingly warning us this morning through the prophet Isaiah. Secondly, each and every one of us this morning need to understand that you and I have polluted this earth. And I'm not talking about, you know, being green and all that. I'm talking about morally. A matter of fact, Isaiah says later on in Isaiah chapter 53, a very familiar verse to all of us, he says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own, his own way, but the Lord has 
caused the iniquity of us to fall upon him, speaking of his Messiah. The point being there is that each and every one of us has gone astray from the statutes and the commandments and the everlasting covenant of God. Each of us has polluted the earth. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, echoes this by saying, he says, Romans 3, excuse me, is it 3.23? It's one of those times I got the wrong verse. Oh no, here it is, 3.23. He says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Each and every one of us in this room this morning, every human that has ever existed has fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. We've all broken God's commandments, God's statutes, and God's covenants. Right? We've transgressed the law. We've violated those statutes, and we've broken the everlasting covenant. So what does that mean for us? Does that mean we're going to perish like the rest of the world as Isaiah is talking about? No, it doesn't. Again, this is a warning. It's a warning that we need to find our cleansing in the work of what Jesus Christ has done for us. We can't find it in ourselves. Isaiah says that later on in Isaiah 64, verse 6. If you think you can be good enough to make it into heaven, or you're going to debate God when you stand at the quote-unquote pearly gates and tell Him to let you in because you're such a good person. Well, Isaiah tells us in Isaiah 64, verse 6, he says, For all of us have become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds, all our good works, are like filthy garments. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. He's saying, you know what? You can't do enough good stuff or be good enough to make it into heaven. Even all the good things that you do are like filthy rags. They won't pay for the price of our sins against God. The only one that can do that is the Lord Jesus Christ. He could take what is filthy and make it clean. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 9, verse 14, in speaking of this, the author says, the author writes, How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your consciousness or your conscience from dead works, those filthy rags, your works of righteousness, to serve the living God. It is the Lord Jesus, His blood, that cleanses us, cleanses us from dead works and to serve the living God. So each and every one of us need to understand that, that we need the cleansing work of our Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot do it. We cannot do enough here this morning to earn our way into heaven. You can't tip the scales. You, know, you could say, well, I didn't shed innocent blood, and I didn't do that. But no, each of us has broken the law of God. The Apostle Paul tells us that the wages of sin is death. So, we need to find our cleansing work in Jesus Christ. So, how should we apply these truths this morning to our lives? Number one, as I just mentioned... Trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Again, if there's somebody here this morning that has never done that, I would encourage you to do that. Don't waste another moment. Understand that without Christ, you are lost. You've sinned against God, and you will suffer the consequences of those sins unless you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ to cleanse you from those sins. 
For if you've already done that, you're saying, well, Robert, I've already done that. I've already trusted in the saving work of Jesus Christ. What application do you have for me this morning in such, you know, this text? Well, I hope that you will see that we should gain a greater desire to grow in our holiness. Remember I mentioned early on, I asked you to hold on to something about that defiling the temple of God, right? We, there's, God doesn't live in a certain land anymore as he did with the nation of Israel. He lives in our hearts. We are now called the temple of God, right? 1 Corinthians 16, 15 through 20 talks about how we're the temple of God, that we've been bought with the price. So let me ask you this morning, are you polluting the temple of God? And I'm not saying, well, I know you eat good, or you, you know, I, I eat a lot of fast food, I'm polluting the temple of God. Well, yeah, you are in some sense, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about morally polluting God's land. God is a holy God. The Spirit of God inside of you is holy. And think of this, when we sin against God, or when we're morally corrupt, we are polluting the temple of God. And each and every one of us has to ask ourselves, are we keeping our bodies clean from the pollution of this world? Remember the book of Psalm, as I read earlier, and I think it was Psalm 102 or 106. Are you becoming like the nation around us? Each and every one of us lives in the world, but we're not supposed to be what? Of the world. That was Israel. Israel was living in the promised land amongst the people, but they weren't supposed to be like them and take on their practices. And we need to ask ourselves, are we taking on the practices of our world? Do we see things the way the world sees them, or are we using the biblical standard as our context? And I hate to harp on the whole thing of abortion again, but our world says abortion is fine. That is from the world. And I would say this this morning, if you think that, you need to rethink that. I would say God's word says something totally different. And you need to repent of that worldly standard. That's pollution. That's moral pollution. And that's the shedding of innocent blood. But we don't even need to go that far. I'm going to try to find this verse. I think it's Mark chapter... I had it in there earlier and I took it out. What is it? I thought someone yelled it out for me. Mark, I think it's 13, where Jesus talks about what defiles a man. What goes into a man, it's not what goes into a person that defiles them. So again, it's not what you eat that defiles you in this sense, morally. But it's what comes out of the man that defiles him. Anyways, if you, you probably have heard that parable before. But all the things that come out of us, like murders, hatred, gluttony, all those things is what defiles a man. Envy, strife. So it's not just the shedding of innocent blood that defiles us, it's all those other things. If we have those things living inside of us, we need to do all that we can to cleanse ourselves from those things and repent of those things and, and fight against them every time you feel them coming up. You're envious, right? Remember what Jesus said if you said, you know, called your brother an idiot or a fool? That was like killing your brother. That's the shedding of innocent blood, in a sense. We need to be free from that. We don't act like the rest of this world, and we should do all that we can to free ourselves from such pollution. And finally, not only should we gain a greater desire to grow in holiness, we should proclaim God's saving grace to others. 
just as we sung again. God delights in mercy. We need to tell people that. Yes, there is judgment, but God delights in mercy, and he would desire for our friends and our family and our coworkers and our neighbors to come to him, to heed this warning, but we need to tell them. And it's not a fun thing to do, right? No, I don't know how many, hey, you know what, this morning in church today, this is what I learned, that God's going to judge our world, and you're guilty. Yeah, that's not a, a, a fun message, and that's not probably not a tactful way to say it. We all know how to be tactful with our friends and family. Pray for those opportunities, but we need to say it. God has put us in this world not just to sit here and say, hey, we're going to heaven and the rest of the world is not. No. Just like the nation of Israel, they were to be a light to the Gentiles. Each and every one of us needs to be a light to the Gentiles as well. So how do we apply these truths? Just let me recap. Number one, trust in the saving work of Jesus Christ. Two, gain a greater desire to grow in your holiness. And three, proclaim God's saving grace to others. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. And even in a hard text about judgment, I pray this morning that we would find mercy and grace in there, that we would hear that through the prophet Isaiah's voice. And I pray this morning, Lord, if there's anybody in here who does not yet know you, who has not trusted in the saving work of your son, that they would do that this morning, that they would come and pray with us this morning to do that. And so I pray that you'd help them do that. For the rest of us, Lord God, help us to grow closer to you and having that desire to grow in our, our faithfulness, in our holiness, not because it gets us into heaven, Lord, but out of thankfulness for what you've done for us. May we see that this morning. And I pray that you would help us to share the, our, this grace that you've extended to us, that we would share it with those who we know and who we love. We pray this in the name of your Son. Amen.